0: Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, as well as Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 5. It's on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch, The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young woman marries a, young, a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Thanks, Peter.
1: Throughout this Advent season over the past uh, three weeks, including today, uh, we have been meditating on a single passage of Scripture, Revelation 21. And we've been having different preachers from across our Grace DC network share different sermons, reflections upon this passage as we consider what it really means. This Advent idea. Advent means coming, the arrival of God in Christ and his first coming, his birth. That's Christmas as well as his second coming, his promise to return and to make all things new. And today we have a special treat, uh, a guest speaker. Uh, Anna earlier uh, intentionally wanted to build up the suspense, um, the not being sure of who she was praying for, but uh, here, here's the moment. It's uh, the Reverend Dr. Irwin Ince, uh who will be preaching for us. Irwin is the director and the pastor of the New Grace DC Institute for Cross. Cultural mission, and he has a tantalizing sermon title there if you haven't uh, noticed it already. But I won't steal his thunder by mentioning it. So uh, we'll go ahead and invite our brother Ford. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Let's welcome Irwin together.
2: Well, good morning, Grace Meridian Hill. Oh, it is good to be with you all this morning, rushed over from Grace Mosaic uh, after preaching the message, so you guys are getting it for the second time, so Lord willing, all the kinks have been worked out, Uh, and now it's uh, even much more substantive than it was just a few minutes ago. Uh, I am, uh, uh, one of the wonderful things about serving uh, here in the Grace D.C., Network of Churches is the admiration that I have for each of the pastors on staff here. I have admiration for your pastors so much that I have emulated him from two weeks ago when he was fighting off a cold and preaching. And so I do have a Ricola in my mouth right now. There you go. (laughs) So, Lord willing, God will sustain my voice. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject The beauty of destiny's children. The beauty of destiny's children. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. This word that is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And, oh God, our confession this morning is that we all are in this place naked and exposed to you, the one to whom we must all give account. And so, Lord God, would you be pleased and delighted to meet us where we are, therefore, and give us what we need. Faith, encouragement, hope, correction, joy, peace, whatever it is, Lord God, would you do it? For your glory and for our good, that we would be people who live for the glory and fame of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen, amen, Amen and amen. Well, bridalguide.com, you look there, it will tell you that the most popular months in America to have a wedding are June, September, and October. And they say this is because the weather is most beautiful in early summer and fall. And I've performed a good number of weddings in my years in ministry. And I haven't necessarily found that to be the case. Those wedding dates have been all over the calendar year. And I suspect that those wedding dates are all over the calendar year because the most important thing is not actually the wedding date, but the marriage itself. When my wife and I take couples through pre-marriage counseling, we we work hard to, to communicate, to emphasize, and repeat to them that we're not simply striving to prepare them for a wedding day. We're trying to prepare them for a long life together as husband and wife. It's so easy as you prepare for a wedding to become so consumed with the details that you're trying to make sure that the day goes well and everything is beautiful. And when you're that consumed with all the details, you can easily miss the whole point, which is your union together and the new home that's formed by that union. I always tell couples that the day is going to be beautiful even if everything isn't perfect, the day is going to be beautiful because of what's taking place. And most, if not all of us, have been to a wedding. We have been bridesmaids and groomsmen and ushers and flower girls and ring bearers and on and on. And when you're at a wedding, any number of things can be running through your head. And for me, I know uh, as I hear a couple recite those wedding vows my mind goes back to my own recitation of those vows and i'm renewed again in my commitment to keep them to uh, to my wife if you've never been married and you anticipate the day that you will be married the uh, a wedding can can remind you of your the longing and desire of your own heart if you were once married but are no longer married because of death or a divorce, while you might be happy for the newlywed couple, weddings can be challenging. It can remind you of your loss and the disappointment of that loss. It can be a, a longing for relief from that disappointment, from that pain. So whether your experience at weddings is delightful or difficult, whether your marriage experience is mostly a picturesque or painful It should amaze us that when God wants to give us a picture of what heaven is like, the imagery that he uses is that of a wedding. Do you want to know the destiny of those who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ? A picture in your mind, the the best, Uh, most wonderful marriage you can imagine and multiply it by infinity, as Buzz Lightyear says, to infinity and beyond. Understand, when God wants to declare to his people what their destiny is, have the picture in your mind of a beautiful bride decked out for her husband in anticipation of life together with him. Understand the Bible begins and it ends with a wedding in the first two chapters of, of the Bible. In Genesis, the pinnacle of creation is the man and the woman. We hear the words of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 at weddings all the time. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Those words were not simply uh, for repetition at weddings. They also set a trajectory in the Bible forward in anticipation of the words that we heard from Revelation chapter 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, as she descended out of heaven from God after being prepared and adorned as a bride for her husband. And I heard a great voice. Out of heaven say, behold, the dwelling of God is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What does it mean to have that kind of destiny? What does it mean to be destiny's children? It means a guarantee of beauty, a guarantee of personal beauty, a guarantee of collective beauty where nothing that is not beautiful will ever exist again. I know that sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like a fantasy, but it is backed by the full credit and faith of God himself. I want to hone in on those two things In the message this morning, I want to talk about longing for beauty and living for beauty. Longing for beauty and living for beauty. Destiny's children, Destiny's children live with longing for all things to be made beautiful. That is, live with a longing for everything to be the way it ought to be. And yet, they have to be comfortable with the fact that as long as they are in this world, they will never escape the reality of longing for something more and something better because things are not the way they ought to be. The wedding date has been scheduled. The wedding has been scheduled, but they do not know the date yet. Secondly, Destiny's children live together in the reality that the future promise of beauty has has broken in on the present world right now. As they are being prepared for life as it ought to be, they experience a life of beauty actually even today. And therefore, life today is not a hopeless venture. They have eyes to see that renewal And renovation and transformation is coming. John says in the first verse, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the former heaven and the former earth. They passed away. Here toward the end of this last book of the Bible, what we are seeing with greater clarity Is how God intends to satisfy the longings of his people. One of the questions that God's people ask him in scripture regularly is, How long? How long, O Lord? David asks in Psalm 13, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long? Must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. The martyrs, they cry out, John says. He heard them cry out with a loud voice. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long can you wait for things to be the way they ought to be? You know what words keep repeating themselves over and over again in the book of Revelation from the mouth of John? John keeps saying, I saw this. I saw that. I heard this. I I heard that. The cover's are pulled back for him so that with his own eyes he sees and with his own ears he hears true reality. It is not that the things that you and I see and hear and perceive with our senses isn't true. It's that what our senses provide is not the full picture. There's more to it. The Lord Gives John and the church insight into what's going on behind what we're able to perceive. The curtains are pulled back, and John sees a new heaven, a new earth. The former had passed away, the sea was no more. John is letting us know this is where the world is headed, this is the world. Destiny, not only that, John says, but I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. I saw that too. I saw the city as she descended from heaven, uh, from God, after she was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I didn't only see the destiny of the world. I saw the beautiful destiny of God's people as well. And John wasn't the first to say it or to see it. We heard it in other passage that was read from Isaiah chapter 62, Israel, the nation of Israel was in exile, longing to be restored back to the land of of Palestine, longing to be restored back to their city, Jerusalem. And the Lord gives Isaiah a message for the people. He says to them, the Lord says, you will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. You will be a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You will no longer be called forsaken and your land will no longer be called desolate, but you will be called my delight is in her and your land will be called married. Why? Because the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. Wait a minute, we're in exile. We are are broke down. We have no hope. We We are like with ashes and dust on our forehead. And Isaiah says, the Lord delights in you. And even still, in Isaiah's day, he has to say it This way because the people's longings are too short-sighted. They just wanted to get back to a patch of land in Palestine. And the Lord had to say, your vision is too small. It's too short-sighted. I'm not just concerned with some piece of land somewhere. I'm concerned with the whole deal. And hundreds of years later, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the Sins of the world after he comes to save his people, giving up his own life on the cross for their sake, being buried in the tomb and rising on the third day in triumphant victory over death. Even after all of that, his people are still waiting. When is our resurrection? How long, O oh Lord? One who sits on the throne has to reiterate behold I am making all things new write it down John write it down because these words are faithful and true and if you kept reading in the very next verse it says uh, the, the one who sits on the throne sits again and says it is done I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You see, we ache, we groan, we, we long for things to be better than they are. The compromising and idolatrous nature of humanity is that we try to fix our longings for beauty by ourselves, on our own. Like I got i I like to hold out hope for this beautiful, aesthetically pleasing, athletic body. I batter my body with CrossFit. I try to eat right, paleo, do a whole 30 once a year. Trying to, as I say to people, I just want to delay the decay. But what I really want are those washboard apps? <laughs> Trying, striving as hard as I can to make it happen. See, the human mind has been able to discover and develop great medical advancements. We put our mind to, to use through technology, attempting to make life better, to heal what's been broken, whether it's bones or relationships I'm glad that I can video chat with my cousin in France. I I can't fly over there and see her all the time, but I can can see her face and talk to her when she wants to talk. I'm glad that medical research continues to discover remedies and, and medicines that attack the diseases that attack our bodies. I'm glad that the creative genius in humanity tries to strive for something better by making beautiful art and and beautiful music. (laughs) Excuse me. Second sermon. Here's the deal. In all of our striving, in all of our longing, we cannot make things so beautiful, so radically new, such that there will be no more decay. Decay. Death is not the great enemy that is defeated by modern uh, uh, medical technology. Death is the, the great enemy that is defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. John is declaring to us that only God can do this. He is the source of beauty, so only he, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes and 11 can make all things beautiful in its time only God can make all things new it's not the outcome of human scientific or technological achievement as one commentator put it the new city comes down out of heaven from God a sheer miracle in other words a gift that is bestowed at the the end of history and not the outcome of history. In other words, in other words, the beauty of the bride that's being described here, the beauty of the new creation is not the outcome of human progress. It's a gift from God. Indeed, the word in our text, behold, is not a call, first and foremost, to do something. It's a call to first and foremost observe and see. Behold, I am making all things new. Watch and see. It's an invitation to look and to believe and to rejoice. God is committed to the beautiful renovation of his creation The word for new that's used in our text typically indicates newness in terms of quality. In other words, through the victory of Jesus Christ over death, God is executing his renovation project. And this longing, this longing we have for our beautification and for the beautification of this world, it can actually weigh us down. That's because try and try as we might, we cannot successfully cover our eyes at all of the ugliness. The beauty that we are longing for is not the the airbrush sheen of the fashion magazine, where uh, where, where 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 imperfections are are covered over and glossed over. Fleming Rutledge in. Her new book on Advent puts it well. She writes, to grasp the depth of the human predicament, one has to be willing to enter into the very worst. To grasp the depth of our predicament, she says, you you have to be willing to enter into the very worst. She says, entering into the very worst means giving serious consideration to the most hopeless situations. For instance, she says, a facility for the most profound cases of developmental disability. What hope is there for a ward full of people who will never sit up, walk, speak, or feed themselves? Tourists go to the site of Auschwitz and take pictures, but who can really imagine the smells and sounds of the most depraved of all situations? The tourists can turn away in relief and go to lunch. And I tell you something, those who belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ are not tourists who turn away from the ugliness and go to lunch. We're people who live for beauty even as we long for it. However, when in this life we get glimpses into reflections of eternal beauty, the the paradox of it, the seeming contradiction of the presence of eternal beauty alongside the ugliness and deep depravity of this life, it can be a burden that seems too hard to bear. In a recent talk on the paradox of beauty, Artist Makoto Fujimura described his becoming a Christian in this way. He was in Japan, he said, studying an old form of Japanese paintings called Nihanga. And he said the way that Jesus led him to faith was by confronting him with beauty. It was through extravagant, crushed minerals that he was using in his artwork Malachite and azurite and gold and silver and others, beautiful extravagant materials he was learning to use and was mastering. And he said, every day I sought higher transcendence through the extravagant materials. I found success in expressions through Nahanga materials. And yet, he said, the weight of beauty I saw in the materials began to crush my own heart. I could not justify the use of extravagant materials I found if I found my heart unable to contain their glory. The presence of beauty now is hard to bear because its glory can be too much. Just look with me in a, a few verses later in this same chapter of revelation 21 at the at the weight of glory that that John describes not of God but of the bride he says in revelation 9, 21 9 through 11 John continues he says then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying come i will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal, if we were to keep reading, John is beside himself to give us a picture of how beautiful and how glorious the bride is. The walls of the city are built of jasper. The city itself is pure glass, uh, uh, clear, pure gold rather, like clear glass. The foundations of the city, he says, are adorned with every kind of jewel jasper and sapphire and agate and emerald and onyx and on and on. It is a description of the eternal weight of glory. Listen, the point of John seeing for us and describing for us this eternal beauty is not simply to make us long for the sweet by and by that's coming. It's more about enabling us to live For beauty in the nasty now and now, right today. It's for us to feel the weight of glory and beauty that Fujimura described and not be crushed by it as we refuse to turn our eyes away from the very worst of the human predicament. Destiny's children hold on, Destiny's children take cues. For living for what has been revealed by God. The churches that John was writing to were in a fight. Do you know that Revelation was written in context to first the seven churches that are described in chapters two and three of this book? And they were in a fight, they were suffering persecution, they were facing poverty. They were facing political oppression. They were facing the temptation to compromise their faith so that life would be better and easier. They needed to know that God's promise that their destiny was to be with him as he remade everything was more certain than what their eyes were seeing and their ears were hearing. It's the exact same thing we need to know right now. People, the people who have this destiny can live for beauty even as we long for it. Understand that because of who God is, He can declare in verse 6 of Revelation 21 it is done. It is done. The Greek text literally says they are done. Not a singular it. Everything I said was going to take place. Everything that I promised, they're already done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the God of the beginning of history, the end of history, and everything in between. Close this. I'm sharing two things I think help us to live for beauty right now. To live... To live and press into things being the way they ought to be in the midst of all of the ugliness. First, first is this. In Jesus Christ, God has smiled on you. Do you belong to Jesus? God delights over you. One facet of beauty is the fact that it delights it brings pleasure. You are beautiful. In Christ, God looks at you and he is smiling. He is fulfilling what he said in Isaiah. You, are, you will be called, my delight is in her for the Lord delights in you. I know you still have problems. I know you are still fighting temptations. I know you still wrestle with certain sins. But listen, God is still smiling. Esther Lightcap Meek, in her book, Loving to Know, I like the way she puts it. She's talking about a sense of personal beauty, a sense of, of, of owning the reality of beauty In oneself personally. And she says, a sense of personal beauty comes, I believe, only in the generous, self giving gaze, the noticing regard of another person. In other words, what she's getting at is we know that we live before the gaze of others and we need the affirmation, affirming look of other people toward us from our earliest days, from the time that we we come into this world and are looking for somebody who's looking for us. The generous, self-giving gaze. And then she says, a sense of personal beauty is nevertheless accessible to all in the life-giving, noticing regard of Jesus Christ. If, she says, when human noticing fails to occur, when you don't get that generous regard from others, any person may nevertheless experience it in the gaze of the Lord. In the personal redemption and the celebration of, as she says, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. His alone is the face that will not go away. And his alone is our highest joy. Do you get that in Jesus Christ, the face Of our Savior is the one that will not go away. It's continuing. His eyes are continually on you. And he's smiling. And he's delighted. And the second thing is this. Nothing is wasted. What do I mean? Nothing is wasted. The loud voice from heaven says John that God will wipe away every tear there will be no more death no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain those things will have passed away but please know that today's tears, today's deaths, today's mournings, today's cryings and pains are not wasted they're not wanted but they're not wasted Notice this with me, please, that what John sees in verse two, the holy city descending out of heaven from God after it was prepared and adorned for her husband. My point is this. This is a passive verb that we find. What do I mean? Listen, the emphasis is that it's God who adorned and prepared the bride. Yes, there are times when it talks about the people of God and what we're supposed to be doing, but the emphasis here is that God is the one who's doing the prep work. God is the makeup artist for the bride. God is the one who picked out the wedding gown. God is the one who is the hairstylist. And yes, God is even the limo driver taking them to the wedding because she descended out of heaven from God. He's the one that's doing it all. And here it is. the deal is this: that he, that he does this preparation in, and the preparation includes the tears. It includes the crying and the mourning and the death. He has equipped her to endure through it uh, by faith as a part of her beautification. It's not wasted. Understand, as I said, those churches were in a fight. They were were being hammered on every side. They needed to know that what they were enduring in the ugly reality of life was not wasted. That's why Jesus says to those churches, over and over again read each of those letters in chapter 2 and chapter 3 to the one who overcomes to the one who overcomes to the one who overcomes i will give overcome endure 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 even these even the pain isn't wasted this enables us to keep our eyes open and live for beauty right now following jesus's lead we live for beauty, just the way our Savior did. Two days from now, what do we celebrate? We celebrate the fact that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who exists in eternal beauty, radiance, and glory. Refused to turn his eyes away from the darkness of the world. And so the son left the beautiful communion that that he had to take on our fragility and our weakness and our vulnerability. So that he could restore us to beautiful, intimate communion with God and with one another. And so secure, secure in our own beauty. Personally and collectively, what do Destiny's children do? We see the darkness of our world and we keep looking for beauty. We keep pointing out that how this world, even though things are often terrible and tragic, how this world is still charged with the glory and the grandeur of God. We keep pressing and working for beauty. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, you are majestic and glorious. You are, as that song says, beautiful beyond description. You are the source of beauty. Anything that's beautiful has its reference to you. And so we praise you that in Christ, you've bestowed on us immeasurable beauty. That you equip us, Lord, even in that, by the gift of your spirit, to keep pressing that message forward in a world that needs to see the glorious light of Jesus Christ. Encourage our hearts toward this end to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. Next song, Child Is This, talking about the wonderful Lord Jesus.
3: No! no.
1: have a seat. Now we want to enter into a time of remembering what Christ has done for us through the table that he gives us, that he invites us.